This is Lonesome Roads behind the wheel and in front of the microphone at the Todd Studer Studios on South 4th Street in downtown Council Bluffs, right across from Canesville Collectibles. And with me this time is a very special guest, a member of the Nebraska Broadcasters Hall of Fame just recently, uh, Neil Nelkin. And Neil, this is uh, gonna, you're finally going to think on retiring I hear. This is actually my fourth time, Jim. (laughs) This time I think it's going to stick. Okay. Okay. Now, you were doing mornings with Wingy. Uh, Weather, traffic, news. Kind of a sidekick in news and traffic, yeah. Yeah. With Wingard on Boomer. Right. And also still working at NRG Media, too, as well. Actually, Friday, December 30th, I guess, is my last day. That's tomorrow. Yeah. And, well, as we're recording. Yeah, as we're recording. Um, where did you start out in radio? West Warwick, Rhode Island. Wow. Little town just outside of Providence. Now, how old were you then? Probably 15 or 16. Okay, so. Yeah. It was a daytime only, 1590, I believe, on the dial, the AM dial, daytime only, uh, competing with all of the Providence and Boston signals, oh. and not very successfully. <laughs> but it was uh, it was owned at the time by a group out of, uh, I believe they were uh, some Cornell graduates, uh, Randy Nixon and uh, Scott O'Neill formed a company called Sconix Broadcasting okay. and ended up buying stations all around the country and ended up becoming a pretty big concern before they ended up selling out to one of the big dogs. Okay. And what did you do there? Was that a DJ job? I did a DJ shift, yeah, because I knew everything I needed to be in terms of being on the radio, you know. Yeah. I did the sign-off shift, usually uh, depending upon what time of the year, uh, three right. to yeah. shut the transmitter off. Right. Um, and then where did you go from there? From there, I bounced around to Providence Radio for, for a while and uh, moved up to Boston and worked a couple of stations in Boston. And then from there, uh, ended up going to uh, Baltimore, and from Baltimore down to Florida. Wow. South Florida, yeah. Okay, so you've been on the East Coast for quite some time. When did you finally make the move west? I was working in Denver, and in uh, 1972, uh, you know, being an on-air personality, we always wanted to be a program director, always wanted to own our own radio station. Well, the opportunity came up in 1972 to join the crew at uh, KODY Radio North Platte, Nebraska. (laughs) That's when I became a Nebraskan and uh, moved to North Platte for quite a few years and worked on uh, Cody Radio, KODY 1240, owned and operated by Dick Wagner, who at the time was the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. That was the years of the Big Red Machine, the national champions, Huh. And we got to do a lot of work with the Reds at that time. And then where to from there? From there, I went to Ogallala. Ray Lockhart, who owned KOGA, also owned a, a station in Burlington, Colorado, and Sterling, Colorado. He had a three-station group. And I was the group program director for Ray Lockhart out of Ogallala and uh, worked there for a while. It's interesting that... Ray's son, Kevin Lockhart, just out of the Air Force, and was kind of a computer geek, 
and used to fool around with computers in the radio station, ended up writing the software and developing the hardware for what was then called the Audio Profit System, which was a computer automation system for radio. And it eventually developed into what is now known as Next Gen. Uh, Clear Channel at the time uh, brought everything in and bought the station, bought the software. And today that is the main software that runs most radio stations and networks in the country. All started at uh, KOGA in Ogallala, Nebraska. Wow. Did not know that. Pretty exciting times. Yeah. And moving on from Ogallala... From Ogallala, I moved to Lincoln to join Norton Warner and his crew at KLIN Radio. They hired me as a promotions director for a station that did no promotions. <laughs> that must have been a good gig then. It uh, Well, yeah, we uh, ended up doing a lot of things. Uh, had a great crew of people there. In fact, my, my sports crew at KLIM doing high school football games every week was uh, Jim Rose and Adrian Fiala. Oh. They were my high school sports gang. Oh. <laughs> and that was fun. Uh, uh, Gary Sharp was there. John Bishop was there. That was uh, the genesis of a lot of the guys I worked with in eastern Nebraska, but at KLIN. And then uh, I left there. Uh, a fellow named Riemann Schneider <laughs> came down from Omaha. This was 1993. And dragged me kicking and screaming out of uh, KLIN <laughs> to Omaha. I had always said I wasn't going to leave KLIN until we were able to get the Husker contract away from KFOR. KFOR had been the traditional Husker broadcaster, and KLIN did not have the broadcasts. We wanted them badly, and we worked very hard at it. Well, the year that KLIN took over the Husker broadcasts was the year that I came to Omaha, and one of the reasons was to bring the Husker broadcasts to Mitchell Broadcasting, get them away from KFAB. <laughs> Which happened. It did happen to our, uh, some would say not to our benefit. I mean, it was, uh, it was a great experiment. Yeah. Uh, John Mitchell lost a lot of money. Marty Schneider lost a lot of hair. <laughs> and uh, the Huskers eventually went back to KFAB, I think, after three years. Yeah, it sounds about right. That was uh, Paul Aaron and the Pinnacle Sports yeah. Network experiment. Yeah. Yeah, and that's too bad because I remember, you know, John Mitchell just beating himself up when he'd get the ratings book because there wasn't any changeover to, I mean, these people were listening on 1290, mm -hmm. but they still thought they were listening on KFAB. Right. So they would put KFAB in their diaries. And John couldn't understand it and didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. But it cost John a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, not just the purchase, but oh. that was when they put together John Mitchell, uh, Dale Jensen, Norton Warner, uh, put together what was the original Pinnacle Sports Network with Paul Aaron. And uh, Jim Rose and I used to meet every week to put together the network formats and how the games were going to run. And then, of course, uh, Paul uh, kind of surprised everyone with hiring Warren Swain as the play-by-play -play voice of the Huskers that back then. Uh, yeah. And that was pretty controversial at the time and for yeah. three years later. Yeah. Um, so you leave KCAR and... When did you go to Froggy? Was that after? No, that's when I was at KLIN. That's when we put oh. Froggy on the air. Oh, okay. uh, Norton Warner and Dick Chapin uh, put Froggy on the air. Uh, I believe uh, it was uh, Froggy 105.3 when it first went on the air. 
licensed to Milford. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was a group that had never had any experience with country music. And I did have experience with country music, so I, I assisted in that regard. Uh, John Taylor and Jill Thomas were the first morning show on Froggy back in the day. Taylor went to Kansas City afterward. Jill Thomas went to Hastings and Grand Island and eventually became part of Pat and JT at uh, Suite 98. That's right, yeah. And uh, uh, that was when we did Froggy, but that was before I came to Omaha. I came to Omaha. Marty hired me to be the program director at uh, KKAR at the time was 1180. And... uh, Eventually bought 1290 Coil, which was located across the mall. Uh, and uh, uh, we moved KCAR from 1180 to 1290. And that became a whole call letter soup with KCAR Coil and a bunch of other signals that we had at the time, moving from station to station, frequency to frequency. And uh, very hard to keep track of what station was on, what frequency, doing what format. Right, right. Well, I remember Disney for a while there. Radio Disney 1180. 1180. 1180. The Disney people came to Mitchell and Marty and cut a a deal there. They were building a radio network, primarily AM radio stations, and uh, they cut them an offer. And it was a wonderful deal until Disney decided to get out of the radio business a few years later. But while it was there, it was very successful. We had, you know, incredible ratings in the uh, uh, 12 to 18 age group. And made a lot of money with Radio Disney until they pulled the plug. Yeah. But it was a fun format. I remember the debut. We did it at Oakview Mall, and we brought in the actual, quote, actual Mickey and Minnie (laughs) characters. I remember uh, Marty was just beside himself because we had to fly them in, and we had to buy them separate seats for the character heads in addition to the actors that portrayed the characters. Oh, jeez. Disney was very particular about how the heads were handled, mm-hmm. and uh, no one was ever allowed to see them without people in them and performing. Huh. Uh, we did that at Oakview Mall. I think we had maybe six or 7,000 uh, people out there for the debut wow. of Radio Disney. It was a very successful little radio station. Huh. So then... K-Car, you leave K-Car or you retire at that point? I retired at one point at K-Car, but we made a lot of changes there. Uh, I was working with Steve Brown. The original K-Car crew that I went into was, you know, Steve Brown, Steve Lundy, Christy Prokop, Gene Taylor was our news director. We had a, Brian Barks uh, was also there at the time, and we had a, a, I think, a seven-person news staff at that radio station doing local radio news. And it was quite an operation. I remember the wall covered in award plaques for that radio station. Mm. And Brian Barks today uh, is the director of the food bank here in town. Right, right. And uh, Gene Taylor has since passed on. Steve Lundy does mornings on the cat. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what happened to all the guys that were in the newsroom. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of the guy that used to drink Dr. Pepper, but he'd shake it. To make sure there's no carbonation, who was that? I remember a Brad Thiel, a Paul Sturba. Uh, I can't. That's going back too far, Jim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's what that was your first retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you got back into. We came back uh, to wait. This was after we moved uh, from 10th and Farnham up to 50th yeah. and Dodge, 
And I came back as, as it was weight radio. Norm Waite bought the stations from John Mitchell and uh, built the complex at, thir- at 50th and Dodge. So I moved in there and uh, was there for quite a while under a number of different general managers. Uh, we went through quite a few people there up there. Up there, um, uh, But we have some of the people that were still down at 10th and Farnham. Uh, we moved up there, and Heather Gossett is still there. Yeah. Um, Ed Thompson is still there. Hmm. Uh, some of the folks that were with us at 10th and Farnham are still there or were still there. And then uh, ran that operation until, uh, let's see, and Marty had been kind of eased out. Marty had some, uh, well, sorry, some disagreements with the weight management people. So Marty moved out and uh, moved over to the Nebraska Broadcasters Association. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But they brought in a succession of general managers from out-of-town markets to come in and run the thing. And then uh, after a short period of time, uh, the folks from NRG came in, NRG out of uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Mary Quass and uh, Chuck uh, Dakota. Uh, their company came in and merged with Weight Media. So it was a combined corporation there. And then uh, eventually the board of directors at NRG bought out the Weight Media interests, and that was... Uh, when Waite left the radio business. But Waite was pretty active for a long time, uh, owned a record label, and put out a number of their own CDs at the time. Yeah, that's right. And also owned a movie production company, uh, Gold Circle Pictures, which claimed to fame they were the producers of My My Big Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes, very successful independent movie, and it was Norm Waite who made that happen. Norm Waite and Mike Delich. And they owned the Music Box. Remember that place? The Music Box, which was up on uh, on uh, Cass Street, yep. was formerly a Shakey's Pizza. <laughs> and they Norm sunk a ton of money into that place to redevelop it oh, yeah. as a Music Box. Uh, I heard he had brought in truckloads of sand, sand yeah. for sound deadening on stage. Yeah, amazing. Spent a fortune there. And it, it operated for a while. It was a pretty hip place. Yeah. Uh, today it's... 24-Hour Fitness or one of those. We had our Christmas party there. That year. Yes, we did. Norm and Ted Waite both sat at the bar holding court. And John Waite was the, the, the guest artist. The guest artist, uh, yeah. Musical artist. Both were in interesting times. Yeah. Really were. <laughs> a lot of fun back then. We used to, uh, oh, every once in a while we'd get together and do road trips in somebody's Edsel station wagon. And we'd uh, take road trips out to uh, Boomers or the Lariat Club in yep. Fremont. Yep. Those were good days. Alan Sherrill and Chuck Walker were our engineers. <laughs> now you're bringing back all kinds of memories. <clears throat> our card giveaways, we were talking a little earlier about the card giveaways. Uh, we had a program director named Bruce Marr who came to us. He was one of the old ABC guys that John Mitchell brought on board. Uh, Mitchell uh, brought on board a bunch of ABC guys. Uh, uh, Ralph Bodine, who was an ABC vice president, and Gene Taylor, who was at ABC in Chicago, and Pittsburgh, a couple of the guys. Well, uh, Bruce Marr was a consultant for KABC in Los Angeles, came in and worked for WHO in Des Moines and developed what he called the the Build a Mustang promotion. And the way it worked, uh, you'll remember, you get a pretty much of a old beater 64 and a half Mustang, and uh, you build it back and restore it one piece at a time until it's a showpiece, and then you award it and give it away. 
Well, we decided to do that one, and we got us an old beater Mustang. It was a 65, though, a notchback. Right, right, right. Because it had the 289 rather than Mm -hmm. the 260. And we ended up taking that, making that uh, a restorable unit with each piece at a time, and then we take it out to remotes, and the way we were to do it is that people would sign the car with a special pen, and that car would be covered with signatures, and that's how we'd give it away. But you reminded me that there are times when the car wasn't quite done to take out to remotes. Yeah, or the piece that we were waiting on was <laughs> rushed into the remote. Yeah, we'd take a fender or a, a yeah, hood. A hood or, yeah, um, and then at some point it was altogether. But I remember finding that car. I think it was in the Thrifty Nickel for, I think we paid 2000 bucks for it. And it looked in pretty decent shape from the outside, but I'm not familiar with the Mustang unibody. And there was these torque boxes that were the real problem. And they're underneath there. Mm-hmm. That took Eddie a long time to... Eddie Spencer. Prepare. Yeah. He did all the work on it. Uh, then when we got the Husker contract, uh, we, we gave away a, a big red Corvette. It was a... Really kind of a, a cute car, red red body, uh, glass T-tops, Yeah, really nice. I think yeah. it was a, a, maybe a... 84, I want to say. It? it probably was. Yeah, it was one of those oddball ones that uh, aren't worth much, which is why we were right. able to afford it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it was not in bad shape body-wise. No, no, but didn't it need all new brakes? Oh, it needed all new everything, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Remember, the Corvettes of that vintage were not particularly solidly built. Yeah. They really weren't. I think they had wood frames. Really? Some of them did, yeah. Um, we got that. That was in that was one of the Kansas auction places, mm-hmm. yeah. Because yeah. I remember driving it back. So we got that running and and it ran pretty good. I'm not sure what it had. I want to say a 327, but I'm not sure. I think it had a 350. Could have been. Yeah. But that was nice. I mean, you know, we drove it around town. We took it to remote sponsorships. People would yeah. sign the car. Yeah, and it did hold up. It yeah wasn't. Uh, oh, it ran pretty well. It really did. Yeah. Um, so we gave that away. I remember giving that away. Steve Lundy was the one that gave that away out at Ameristar. Mm. Um, and, and that was gone. Then we did a, uh, I think we did the Challenger next. I thought the Challenger was between that and the Corvette, uh, the Mustang and the Corvette. May have been, you know, you get old, you forget the sequence. Yeah, yeah. Right. But we did a, a Dodge Challenger. I think it was the, the plum crazy color. Yeah. That was beautiful paint. Oh my gosh. A 440. Yeah. Yeah. That was a real problem because nobody in town knew how to service a 440. Yeah. You found a guy. Yeah, and you you were the one that drove it mostly mm-hmm. uh, to the remotes. and. Yeah, I remember, I remember one time, I think it was just off Interstate 80 at 60th Street, the thing I just come off of Interstate 80 at 60th and heading north on 60th, and the thing died. I could not get it going, so I, I called you. <laughs> and said, Jim, you got to come out and get me in this thing. I'm stuck here in the middle of traffic, and it will not run. But that was that was a beast. It was a gorgeous car, but it yeah. was a beast. Yeah. But... And uh, we gave that away, and uh, that was when Chris Baker was with us. Okay. And uh, uh, the interesting part of that, of course, would be I'd be driving it out to remotes, and Baker would be on the radio mm-hmm. imitating me in the car oh. driving to remotes. <laughs> And sounded more like me than I did at the time. It was, uh, I'd look at the radio and say, I didn't say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess you did. It was Chris Baker. Uh, and then after that, we did the Torino. I forget what year that Torino was. Uh, 68. Okay. 
The big issue there, of course, uh, it had uh, the old air conditioning system, which had to be totally replaced, and that wasn't cheap. No. But that was the other car we gave away. So I think we gave away four cars. Yeah. Now the, on that uh, that Torino, um, I bought that at uh, the auction in what was it Lee's Crossing or something? Lee's Summit. Lee's Summit. And uh, for that auction, I had you know I had to have a guy with a a badge to be able to purchase it. And before I found the Torino, there is this. Uh, uh, clone of a gto judge in the in the auction line and nobody's bidding on it i'm going this thing is clean let's get this but i couldn't find him he was like i don't know there was like 10 you know lines going at the same time mm-hmm. i'm going so we ended up missing out on that one but then i saw the torino convertible and it was just yeah it was too sweet not to pass up so we did that one i remember talking about um, getting the uh, car built together for the remotes, uh, the Mustang. Uh, it was right down to the wire that day. Was that Oakview Mall? I believe the- that was, the, yeah, uh, or was that the one we did in the Von Mauer uh, court in front of Von Mauer? Mm. There was one of them we did at Von Mauer with Miss Nebraska. Oh. And I'm not sure which one that was. Really? Yeah, we had Miss Nebraska blindfolded, walked her around oh, the car. Okay. Yeah. Somebody yelled, stop. We pointed her toward the car. She pointed her finger and touched the car. Right. The name she well, touched won the car. Yep. I, I remember putting that, putting the interior together uh, on site mm-hmm. before the remote. I mean, still putting in the dash panels and, the, you know. Because it was all torn apart from Eddie, you know, uh, painting it. Um, <laughs> that was so funny. Um, it was a great time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, before we moved up here to uh, 50th and, and, and Dodge. And that was still under the Mitchell regime. Remember, Mitchell, had we had the building at 5th, at uh, uh, 10th and Farnham, a designated historical site. Well, I used to park the Corvette up on the sidewalk in front of the studio so the people could come by, walk by, and see the Corvette. Yeah. Leaked oil like a sieve. Oh. And then the city really got agitated because we had this big oil stain on the sidewalk on a designated historical landmark. That's when I learned, I think it was from you, that kitty litter takes up oh. oil. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, and... Th- so, where was the uh, giveaway for the uh, Challenger? Do you remember? No, I don't. Yeah. I don't remember. It was at a sponsored location, I'm sure, because everything we did back then was sponsored. Right. I remember it wasn't a giveaway car, but I remember Chris, Chris Sacklar's Go Patrol K-Car, K-Car. <laughs> <laughs> that was a uh, uh, one of those Dodge Spirits. Yeah. Something like that. K-Car. Yeah. Yeah. The K-Car, K-Car. I mean, yeah. What a perfect fit. Um, and there, you got a, somebody emailed you uh, many years later with pictures of the Torino. Remember that? And he had just taken off the letters and the mm-hmm. yeah 
and but it was like perfect. He, yeah. he really kept up on it. You'll wonder what may have happened to those four cars. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Then another giveaway we did. <laughs> we had uh, Charlie Stone and and that girl Charlie doing mornings on K Car. They were our morning show. Oh. So we came up with the idea of uh, giving away Charlies on Harleys. Charlies on Harleys. So we went out and, and got two Harley Sportster motorcycles and did the key promotion. You know, every, every place we went, you win a key, whatever. Oh. And then uh, at the Ameristar Sports Bar, we had the two, two bikes sitting there in the middle of the bar. And everybody that had a key came up and tried to start the bikes. And the, the deal was, of course... If you started the bike, you won the bike. And I remember one of the bikes was won by the sweetest little old lady. She <laughs> had to have been 90 years old. Wow. And and she had no real clue as to what she was doing, but she got on there, and it was darn close to the end after everybody had tried it. And she got on there and turned the key, and that bike started up, and I thought she was going to die. <laughs> yeah. And she ended up taking the bike and ended up selling it the next day. Huh. We had cute little bikes. We had two twin Harley Sportsters. They were fun. Of course, I was the one who got to drive them around. Oh. You know, that rank has its privileges. Yeah. <laughs> and Sweet 98 gave away its share of cars over the mm -hmm. years, too. And houses. And houses, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had that, uh, remember that VW Beetle? I think I found that for them. Drove that around mm -hmm. for a while, too. Uh, and then those Geo Metros. Uh, yeah, they were great cars. Yeah. But the uh, giveaway kind of got messed up on that one. Yeah. Um, Something always happened with the Sweet 98 giveaways. I remember the house giveaway that ended up in court because uh, I believe Rocket awarded the house to a winner who was moving from Iowa to Nebraska but had not yet made the move. But the rules said you had to be a Nebraska resident. And uh, she took us to court. Oh. That I'm going to be in a, well, you're not now, but I'm going to be, you know, one of those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it, back in the day, I think they were $98,000 houses, which was back then, uh, you know, a substantial that house. Was, yeah, that was a good chunk of money. Yeah. Now it's nothing. <laughs> can't even, yeah. Um, then the boom box. The, the boom box. The sweet 98 boom box. Oh, my gosh. That was a, that was a <clears throat> piece of work. Yeah, I remember we got uh, the pickup we got to pull that around in mm -hmm. didn't have a trailer package. So it was like, the, I think the transmission or the cooling system went out uh, just, you know, yeah. first, first gig because it couldn't handle the weight. Yeah. And there was the time that uh, we all went to convention in, I believe it was Los Angeles. Was, uh, John, Marty, Alan Sherrill, me. I think Dan Charleston was there, too. We'll go to a convention, and in the convention floor, they have all these exhibits that everybody's trying to sell stuff. For some reason, John got caught in the balloon exhibit. Station balloons. I mean, large, helium-filled balloons. Really? And he just had to have these and ended up buying one for K-Car and one for Sweet 98. Really? I think one for whatever other station we may have had back then. And we had three of these helium-filled balloons that we would take out to remotes and fill them full of helium and have them flying. And they were lighted, and they'd be flying out. I remember doing one over on West Dodge 
over by what was Billy Frogs back then. We remember doing one there. The problem with them, though, is after the remotes, you had to bring them down and get the helium out. Yeah. Not easy to do. That was always a problem. <laughs> but uh, Mark Ryan used to fiddle with those, the balloons. The bal- <laughs> Maybe one of the worst decisions we ever made, and they were not cheap. <laughs> but when John was at convention, he always came back with something interesting. Yeah. Um, so how about, uh, what was your first car? My first car? Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking it was a 52 or 53, maybe, Jeep pickup. Oh. Little Jeep pickup with a, a six-cylinder, uh, just beat to crap, but ran like a charm. Huh. And, uh, uh, had a light switch for an ignition switch. You throw the switch and touch the lead and that would start it, you know, and, and uh, it was a fun, you know, it was fun. It's four-wheel drive. Yeah. Never had a problem getting anywhere in it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, looked like hell. <laughs> <laughs> and what else have you had since then? Oh, let's see. There was a, a 67, 67 uh, 396 SS Chevelle. Oh. That was fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Then I got another Chevelle after that, I think a 71 Chevelle. And then I got into uh, Ram Chargers, Dodge Ram Chargers, a couple of those. Okay. And uh, I don't know, then I got into a Honda kick, and I think I've had Hondas ever since. I got a Honda now. So that, you know, nothing glamorous. Yeah. You know, just kind of interesting. Yeah. I still have a place in my heart, that, you know, someday win the lottery. I want a uh, 57. DeSoto Fire Dome. Oh, beautiful cars. Oh, magnificent. Just magnificent. Tritone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with a Hemi. Oh, yeah. 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 And the push-button transmission. Yeah. They were magnificent vehicles. Uh, they run, uh, to get a one, you know, get a fully restored one, it's about 300 k Wow. Yeah. I don't have that budget. Not after my 52 Jeep pickup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Neil, thank you so much for coming on today and enjoy your retirement. Um, if you can stay out of. Yeah, this. I'm going to be moving to Lincoln so I can spend more time with my grandkids. Oh. As you know, I've had three hospitalizations this year. Ouch. Between heart and kidney and a few other parts that just decided it's time. Mm. And you can't get parts for 48 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to. Rock auto. Yeah, right. <laughs> we have parts for everything. Uh, but now I'm going to settle down for a while, see what happens, move to Lincoln, take it a little easier. And, uh, you know, I, I never say never. Yeah. Radio is a terminal disease. We all know that. Yes. There is no cure. Right. <laughs> well, thank you again, Neil. Thank you, Jim. This has been uh, Lonesome Roads Behind the Wheel. Uh, you can uh, email us with your comments, suggestions, criticisms, complaints uh, at lonesomeroadsbehindthewheel at gmail.com and roads is spelled R-H-O-D-E-S. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.